Hello, Gaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsor. The IGMNX podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. The Pragmatic Solutions player account management platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. And now here is today's podcast. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. And good afternoon to you at home and good afternoon to you as well, Oshin. How are you doing today? Muy bien, amigo. Great to be here, Pierre. Thank you. Muy bien, muy bien. You're in sunny Spain at the moment, aren't you? Indeed, indeed. It's it's not super sunny at the moment. We're sort of having a bit of a winter, so you know the temperature goes all the way down to seven degrees at night, which I, oh I know is going to be goodness. shocking for somebody in, in Sweden. Yes, it's pretty cold. <laughs> it's pretty cold. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah same same here in Malta. I mean, yes. um, yeah, we had a good 21, 23, 23 degrees here on Saturday. So you know, nice. my arm actually turned into the Maltese flag on Saturday. <laughs> it was red. And white, uh, <laughs> of the t-shirt. But amazing, amazing. <laughs> yes. you, have, you have Irish skin as well. That's uh, that's oh, yes. I like. Yeah, that's something that brings us together, my dear friend. That's for sure. <laughs> it is for sure. <laughs> uh, Ushen, um, I've had a pleasure of getting to know you over the over the last month or so, actually, as the uh, as the new uh, Agami Next um, uh, host uh, that we will be hosting Agami Next here in October, and it's been a pleasure actually to start following you and and your background. But obviously, for those for those who don't know you. Could you just uh, give a little bit context on on who you are and, and your background there today? Oh, sure. Oh, well, listen, thank you so much for the invitation to join you here, Pierre. Thrilled to be here. Um, I've been working in the iGaming sector as uh, somebody who represents suppliers to the industry. So uh, folks who provided mobile communication solutions, mobile marketing solutions, that kind of thing. And um, really, my background is sort of around the houses. I have been around the block uh, several times. So, you know, way <laughs> back in the day, I was in the music industry. I was in a band. We did the whole thing. We toured, we played gigs, we had fun. And then the band broke up as bands do. And I realized I had zero career options outside of you know, um, music related things, none of which were viable. So I kind of threw myself into this exciting new area of technology, uh, initially because I wanted to find a way to release music and to reach people using this magical new thing called the internet. This is around the late 90s. And so that was really my driver for getting into technology. So I worked at a internet service provider. I did some training. I worked as a junior web designer, web developer, yada, 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 all the time kind of wondering how I could contribute to this future of the music industry and this ability to release music directly and reach fans directly using the internet. But then what I found out as I got deeper and deeper into the space and accumulated more and more practical skills uh, through my work is that the internet was indeed the new rock and roll. And this was actually a more exciting, fast moving, vital space than the music industry was at the time. And so I kind of got you know, carried away on this wave of 
in exponential growth of technology and the role that the internet had to play in people's lives. So I worked in mobile companies, in network companies, in text messaging companies, in social media companies, uh, as a country manager, a, um, a product director, marketing director, a bunch of different roles. And uh, then, you know, long story short, I kind of, you know, from the end of the 90s, beginning of the millennium, I worked in technology, basically kind of, um, collaborating on lots of different industries for many different technology providers. And so I kind of work with fintech companies, uh, with e-commerce companies, with iGaming companies. And as part of that role of being the representative of a company, being an evangelist and going out and meeting folks, telling them what you do and seeing can you work together, uh, I ended up doing a lot of work around conferences and creating content. So I ended up um, being a senior contributor to Forbes for two years. I've spoken at around 250 conferences as a moderator, a keynote speaker, an MC. And uh, most recently, since the lockdown landed, I've been helping Fortune 500 companies uh, by hosting and co-producing their podcast, which has been a wonderful learning experience. And again, it's it's just a great opportunity to speak to fascinating people. So I think I'm very much like yourself, Pierre. Uh, you know, this uh, so many things that you do around iGaming Next and the whole iGaming ecosystem are about meeting interesting people and seeing what makes them tick. So um, so that's kind of what I've ended up doing. I, lo I love that, Toshin. Uh, a jack of many trades and master of all, actually. Uh, that's, very, of it. Uh, that's very kind of you. I, I wouldn't say, I'd say master of a uh, few bits and pieces. You know, I, I can string a few things together. A few pieces. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Thank you, Oshin. So, um, so basically, the topic of the day is ESG is king, right? And it's a topic that we've been talking a lot about in this podcast over the over the last year or so, uh, which is the just the fact that the uh, the world is heading towards a more sustainable place, and um, organization needs to adapt to that to um, uh, to uh, to represent their shareholders uh, who are now obviously looking into. Um, investing more and more ethically but um to start things up today uh Ushin, can you just give some uh can we can we start by definitions here like what what can you define esg yeah absolutely well it's it's quite simple it's just a series of metrics that you can use to measure companies around uh environmental social and governance lines and this you know if you can measure it you can compare it you can improve it and there are uh, free to access esg directories online where you can see how a company is performing against other companies in the space and i think the interesting thing that's happening is that esg you know this idea of um uh, triple bottom line Reporting, uh, reporting even has been around for a long time. Companies like Patagonia have been real pioneers in this space. So triple bottom line reporting is around um, people, profit, and the planet. So you know none of this stuff is kind of tree hugging hippie stuff. It's not you know it's it's about profit. It's about capitalism, but a new kind of capitalism. So what ESG kind of puts the focus on is how a company is performing against these different environmental, social, and governments guidelines. But it's also been identified as this kind of smart beta to overlay on how you predict a company's performance. Uh, I mean BP, I believe. Um, was flagged in terms of its ESG performance as it was like a, a given a, a very low mark um, just before the Deepwater Horizon scandal happened, be, you know, because of the issues that led to that. And, you know, certain tech companies, you know, can be, uh, none, of, none of which come to mind at the moment, um, you know, they can be flagged as having bad ESG practices. And 
I think what this means, uh, the ESG way of looking at things, is that the company in itself is unsustainable. Their behavior as a, you know, as a kind of low-scoring ESG company might continue for a while. It might provide shareholder value, but long-term, it's simply not sustainable. So ESG really puts the big widescreen focus on a company, not just for the next quarter, but for the next quarter of a century. And, you know, it is increasingly the measure by which all companies will be judged. And investors are taking action against this rather than, um, you know, simply divesting. They are investing proactively in ESG you know, super performers, because it means they can have a say in how the companies are run. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I see so many companies getting on board with ESG, particularly around the activities of the World Economic Forum. I think 61 of the world's leading companies, you know, Fortune 500 companies, uh, including many tech companies like Dell, IBM, HP, etc. Uh, they signed up to um, to kind of shift from shareholder capitalism metrics to stakeholder capitalism metrics. And this concept of stakeholder capitalism, uh, I think is the center of, of what's exciting about business at the moment. Uh, shareholder capitalism is being seen increasingly as a busted flush. It's game over. It It is simply not going to work anymore. The reason it's not going to work, as everybody's aware, uh, California's on fire. The oceans are being, you know, poisoned. It's it's like where we are as a planet is completely unsustainable. We've got 10 years to take positive action and fix this stuff. Um, you know, business as usual isn't an option anymore. So this move to stakeholder capitalism, which includes the planet as one of the stakeholders in terms of sustainability, is really where the, the, the future is at. And um uh, I think ESG as well is very interesting because, you know, in a world where we're moving from, you know, ecosystems of like arch competition and destroy all the competition and just, you know, complete ownership and dominance and all the rest. Mm -hmm. When you move into this space of our digital lives and IoT and, you know, APIs and technology ecosystems, the ecosystem doesn't work anymore because we're in a world of ecosystems. It is about cooperation at a certain level. And the interesting thing about ESG is that it opens up the focus on the overlap of these digital ecosystems. Um, I spoke to a really interesting guy called Tony Fish uh, a couple of months ago for a conference called Cybos. And he's like this very brilliant mind. He's like a digital David Attenborough. Uh, you know, he's a he's a different thinker. He sees the world differently. Um, you know, he had a an unorthodox experience at school. It didn't quite agree with him. And so when he finished school, he didn't really see any jobs that were that were available for him. So he sort of had to make his own. And uh, you know, as a result of just thinking differently, he's able to spot big holes in you know the, the emperor's new digital clothes, as it were. Um, you know, his first business was about dismantling this idea of walled gardens because, you know, back in the, I think it was the 90s sometime. No, his first business was, was around TCP IP and providing uh, information services over this new internet protocol. Um, he wrote a book which basically demolished this idea of the walled garden and says, hey, guess what, guys? We're all going to move to ecosystems. Uh, you need to be there. So he's kind of been incredibly prescient writing about stuff 10 years before it's been important to the rest of the world, uh, like many great futurists, you know. But anyway, um, the thing that he's, writing about at the moment, uh, which is the reason I mention it, is the fact that ESG in a world of connected ecosystems 
brings us to this issue of overlapping ecosystems and who controls the barrier. So it's simply not enough, as we saw with the uh, solar winds, you know, who provide these uh, 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 connectivity ecosystems. Um, you know, there was a gaping security hole in solar winds, and you know, you have to ask: Is solar winds liable for it? Are the companies that use solar winds liable for it? All of this stuff is going to come to the head. So the CS, the ESG metrics mean that companies are under increasing scrutiny to understand every aspect of their their own business, but also their supply chain, particularly when it comes to digital information. So, I mean, I think ESG is a fascinating topic because it, it points to the future of stakeholder capitalism, and it also highlights some of the potential pitfalls and Achilles heels of connected digital businesses uh, over the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a brilliant definition and, and the clarification of the of the subject uh, in in general. And I think maybe it kind of ties together if we look now at the GameStop situation here, where uh, you know the um, the little man is rebelling against the big man in in, in some way. Uh, and similarly, on an ESG level, it seems to me a little bit that it's uh, you know it's on the on the smaller level where the individuals are, are are having a bigger bigger say in what's happening in the stock market. Is that uh, do you get that feeling too when it comes to ESG? Well, I mean, I, I, I think um, one of the things that came to mind when you were mentioning uh, mentioning that was this idea of you know consumer pressure, and you know the little guy, as you say, coming together to have a big impact. I mean, you know, the GameStop stuff is pretty interesting. You know, the, the cryptocurrency trading is is interesting as well. Uh, you know, that's sort of a, a world of speculation, and it's. You know, I, I'm not a big speculator myself, I have to confess, but, you know, I know people who are, I, I admire them, I have huge respect for them. Um, I think where ESG comes into play in terms of mobilizing the little guy is a lot to do with the millennial and centennial generation. Now, the millennials have actually been called the purpose generation because, you know, if, um, if they're looking at two job opportunities, and one company has a really terrible ESG score and another company is maybe paying a bit less, but is going to be more meaningful and more purposeful uh, in terms of where their, where their heart is. Uh, the millennial, huge generalization, but it, it is an absolute measured trend, will yes. tend to go for the gig with purpose. And yeah. I think this is a way that ESG measurements can exert pressure on companies to be more uh, sustainable, you know, better governments, uh, better kind of social impact scores, uh, because they simply won't be able to hire the best staff, the best people, the most talented, new, young, you know, geniuses will be going for companies like, you know, P Patagonia or whoever that have exemplary <laughs> uh, ESG scores. Um, but, yeah. the, you know, the fact that we're getting, you know, 61 of the world's biggest companies, including many of the world's biggest tech companies, signing up to this um, stakeholder capitalism metrics. And they announced it at WEF, uh, I think in yes, September 2020, the International Business Council. Uh, you know, this kind of shows the writing is on the wall. Uh, you know, it's not only that the investment community are not so enamored with companies with lowest low ESG scores, uh, it, future employees, future talent, you know, the future of your business is talent. And if Millennials and centennials are really not comfortable with joining companies with low ESG scores. Uh, this is a big issue for the future. 
Absolutely, I completely agree with that, uh, Ocean as well. And uh, you know, I, I, um, I'm really happy to have you on today, Ocean, because you have unique insight in the sense that you have a lot of experience from both the wider tech industry, but also from our industry, the the gaming industry, and and uh, that's a, a big reason why I wanted to to chat to you today to see if we can find some bridges here uh, between the wider tech industry and uh, and the gaming industry. So, uh, from our industry point of view, I think that ESG became a matter around 2015 or so uh, when um, uh, when uh, the listed companies share prices started to fall basically mm-hmm. in the agaming industry yeah. uh, the agaming industry is not seen as a sustainable uh, industry uh, for for various reasons i think gambling is stigmatized obviously and and uh, and uh, as we as we move on the in we as an industry have to have to change and adapt to the new reality, which is exactly what you are saying. Uh, the fact that um, uh, the younger generation growing up are much more uh, purpose-driven uh, than the older generation who maybe are, aren't uh, thinking that far, far uh, ahead, at least traditionally. Um, but uh, I would like to ask you just to start with, uh, um, I hear this echoed within the argument industry from time to time from quite senior people, is that, um, is that organizations see ESG as a necessary evil sometimes? Uh, do you get that feeling as well sometimes from the wider tech industry? And um, what would be your opinion on that? Do you think that there is a point to be made that ESG is just some temporary uh, annoying uh, you know, declaration that you have to do? Or, or, or is this the old guard that is uh, stuck in the past kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, it's it's sort of a um, it's an interesting area. The overlap, in particular, between iGaming and ESG, because of course, you know, some of the practices within certain avenues of iGaming are, you know, problematic in, in terms of the social impact and the measurements. So, yes. um, you know, the, the 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 warmth towards embracing uh, ESG might be flavored by some of that background knowledge, but. You know, we're at the beginning of a journey. It's a journey that we are all going to make together. And it isn't really an option, I think, to to just kind of ignore it and sit on your hands until retirement or, you know, you exit the company or whatever. Um, ESG is becoming more and more central to investment, to recruitment, and also to things like director responsibility. Um, again, in my chat with Tony Fish, this is a very, very uh, interesting chat. I wrote down this, this uh, yes, this kind of particular note because um, he he described that Section 172 in the UK anyway, the UK's Company Act, means that directors are extremely responsible for what happens, particularly in these fuzzy edges of data and handing over and, uh, you know, particularly around ESG. And the penalties uh, within Section 172 include prison. So, you know, I mean, long story short, I mean, I I would recommend people to to visit cybus.com and do a search for the Tony Fish talk if they they want to find out more or visit tonyfish.medium.com. He does a very insightful blog. Um, But, you know, it's not a case of, you know, ignoring ESG isn't really an option, particularly when it comes to... uh, you know, Section 172 and its equivalent in other countries. Um, I don't think it's temporary because, you know, it's it's like, the, yeah, as Tony's Fish said, there has been a certain way of doing business historically, which is to sort of have your North Star, your hand on the tiller, moving forward, making sure everyone in your ship is, 
you know, fed and watered. And it's very, very much the kind of one company exploring, going into the wilderness and, and plotting their course. But the thing about our civilization to date is that we've accomplished this forward progress by draining the water of all resources behind us. There's nothing left behind us. And the idea of continuing on our trajectory while we're burning the earth behind us, literally torching it so there's nothing left, nothing left for our children, our friends' children, our grandchildren, nada. It's like, we, you know, we've sort of reached the stage where not getting on board the ESG agenda is not an option. And I think, you know, we're sort of at the, you know, mixed the metaphors, the tip of the iceberg uh, in terms of the penalties, <laughs> you know, that are going to be... It's a small uh, iceberg, unfortunately. It's a small, yeah, it's a, it used to be a big iceberg, yes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so we're at the tip of the iceberg in terms of the penalties, criminal penalties that are going to be invoked. So we've, we've already got shareholder pressure, you know, um, recruitment pressure, media pressure, etc. Um, I think we're going to have more and more regulatory and legal pressure to be you know, a better company, uh, you know, big tech companies, you know, Facebook does not do well. I, you know, I, I love Facebook. I'm on it every day. So I've got some great friends who work there and in the iGaming yeah. space and they are brilliant. I love them. But as a company, uh, because of the way that they approach data, they get low ESG scores. You know, I think, exactly. yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Biden administration has come in in the States. They may have a very different approach to to Facebook. Uh, shall we say. But, you know, I think the writing's on the wall. I don't think this is temporary. Uh, we can't just burn the earth behind us. It's not, you know, it's the it's the definition of unsustainable. And um, yeah, I think this this goes for every sector. There's no particular yeah. sector who is in a bubble where they can just ignore it and, and you know, everything's going to be fine. And, uh, I, you know, I'm heartened every day by the stories of Companies coming together, working together, cooperating, providing these ecosystems of security and sustainability. And, um, you know, the, the idea that this is not going to be an issue in the iGaming sector, I think, is is not a, a an accurate idea. No, absolutely, and 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 like we mentioned here, now we clearly have seen this in the in the trends on the stock market since 2015. Yeah. The share price has slowly been been falling in some organizations. Now, now yeah. you know, last year has been rising again, let's say, but uh, but the trend because of ESG have been in a in a downwards uh, trend, uh, despite you know the organizations setting uh, all time high uh, EBITDAs. Uh, yes. And it, and it seems this is the big uh, shift, right, in the in the investors is that they aren't necessarily looking at the quarterly reports uh, from a financial point of view only looking at the EBITDA and the future um, predictions of where where the where the um, where the um, uh, where the profit is uh, is heading but it's uh, like we're saying as well where like how sustainable is the organization uh, and so and the company have to tell a story right they have to kind of build a brand around uh, why they exist like what is the purpose of this organization yeah right yeah, yeah. and i love that in general i think that um, it's a, uh, uh, and it seems to me that organizations more and more, they are taking stances more and more. The, the way I see it is that um, before in the um, a generation ago, um, if you were if you were an organization, a lifestyle brand, or uh, any type of organization, you didn't see a purpose why you would take stances that much. So you would just take you would just risk losing a part of your demographic. Mm -hmm. But look at for example. Nike uh, sponsoring oh, yeah. 
um, I, I can't say his name now, but the American football player who... Uh, who, Alan, who, who Kaepernick or Kaepernick? Kaepernick, yeah, yeah, yeah. who took a knee. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that was a political statement by Nike. Yeah. Um, that's purposely alienated part of their their own demographic, a big part of the demographic. Yeah. Um, but uh, they realize, I think, Nike, that uh, for an or- for an organization to thrive in 2021 in this purposeful generations that is coming coming up, whether you're being le- left leaning or right leaning or whatever your opinions are and whatever matter, you as an organization will be questioned by your uh, by your consumers, where what do you stand for as an organization? Right, and that's also part of this equation, I would think. Yes, yes, indeed, absolutely. Yeah, the um, you know you've got the perfect storm of millennials and centennials, the purpose generations. Mm. Uh, you know, social upheaval, social unrest in the world. This hunger for making the world a better place. It's you know it may sound like a cliche, yeah. but we can't really afford to to look at it in those terms anymore. Um, you know, we don't really have the luxury of cynicism anymore. Uh, the, you know, I think Nike were brilliant to take that stand. I enjoyed very much uh, that, you know, forgive me, but I enjoyed this bit of, uh, what's the word, schadenfreude? Uh, where, schadenfreude, yes. Schadenfreude, thank you, yes. Uh, where folks were, you know, burning their own, you know, burning their shoes and all this kind of stuff. It, it was just, you know, funny yes. as hell. Um, you know, more- they knew they- they knew that was going to happen, you know, in a sense. They, they probably didn't know how much. I mean, they took yeah. a risk for sure when they did this. They didn't know how much it's yes. going to blow up, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah. well, um, one of the commentators I really, I'm sort of addicted to podcasts. And one of my favorite ones is uh, called Pivot. It's run by Kara Swisher and Professor Scott Galloway. And uh, he's always a great man to, to tune into, to have a rant about, about technology and its effects on society. And he has great rants about Facebook, about YouTube, uh, you know, all the big companies that we all use. I mean, he's a shareholder in a lot of these companies. He rants about Twitter all the time. Um, but one of the interesting things that he raised was this idea of engagement and engagement at all costs. And, you know, of course, yes. this has been a theme in technology uh, for a while. And, you know, um, apocryphally, there was a, a, a book, I can't remember the author, but it was called Hooked. And this is a gentleman who I believe used to work in the gambling sector in Vegas, or, or he was like, maybe he studied, you know, the, the kind of uh, design psychology of the machines in Vegas, the slot machines, etc. And he bought some of that knowledge over to the tech industry to develop these endorphin loops uh, for a lot of the early tech companies. So remember when, you know, Facebook, you know, early days, you were getting uh, notifications that your friends did X, Y, and Z on, on Mafia Wars or whatever it was called. You know, all these social games started popping up and the social notifications were off the charts because it was very um, new territory. And, you know, we've seen the, um, you know, this psychology of user experience as I move from the, uh, you know, the land-based gaming space over to social media to to gamify and kind of you know get get endorphin you know triggering patterns into the notifications and what we've kind of subsequently seen um does does scott galloway call it the enragement economy or something like this so it's moved from the experience economy to the oh no the the endangerment economy so he's got a great catchphrase for it anyway yeah i think it's like the um engagement economy like the the um the yes. uh, the economy is now engagement or the economy is time depending on yes exactly that mm-hmm. yeah that's it and uh, what he says his sort of catchphrase is enragement is engagement 
So the <laughs> fact that you can keep people engaged for hours, you know, and this was this came up in that film, The Social Dilemma on Netflix that I absolutely loved. Um, you know, if you can keep people in this funnel of engagement, you're basically figuring out what makes them tick. Every new interaction is a little bit more detail on the psychographic profiling of a specific user. And then with this insanely accurate uh, profiling, you can sell their data for, you know, to any consumer companies who's advertising on, on these platforms. And um, he kind of speaks a lot about the moral dilemma faced by tech companies in that, you know, algorithms are building these funnels of engagement. So it's like whatever somebody gets in their, you know, coming up next list is the, is whatever will keep them on the platform. So you can go from, I don't know, like a, a video about uh, about some kind of, you know, health, health thing, alternative health thing, and you can end up at, you know, pretty extreme conspiracy theories in like 10 videos. It's been, it's been tested. And it's, it's not like, um, yeah. you know, it's just the AI under the hood is kind of saying, oh, okay, well, you like a bit of this. Well, we found that this tends to, you know, tick these boxes and keep people on the site for a bit longer. So let's send them that and send them that and send them that and send them that. But Professor Scott Galloway speaks about this issue of enragement as engagement and the fact that tech companies will be held responsible. And, it, you know, some of it comes down to who's in the White House, for example, but a lot of it comes down to consumer pressure as well. And, you know, we've seen movements, um, you know, consumers will switch off. You know, they'll kind of back away from platforms that they see as too exploitative or too addictive or not really being fair with how they interact with people. And it's sort of like the, the question facing every industry is where do you want to stand on this um, ESG continuum? Do you want to be one of the leaders and kind of sort it out now and say, oh, you know, you get, yeah, I guess, you know, we're all on a journey and it turns out, um, you know, we're not so good. We're not so hot here. So let's improve this and let's kind of get a bit better. Or do you want to be dragged kicking and screaming with some of your directors thrown in jail in, you know, a couple of years time because you haven't done anything. And, uh, you know, I think it's incumbent upon business leaders. And I know you, you speak to a lot of them to really be at the forefront of this movement towards more sustainable, more environmentally social and, uh, you know, governance, sustainable models for industries, whatever the sector. Yeah, and I think the the comparison that you are drawing, uh, let's say, uh, to the uh, to social media, and the fact that social media and you know this like kind of microtransactional games is another part where we oh, we, yeah. uh, we talked about yeah. this in the in a session here last week that I really really recommend that everyone checks out. Um, uh, the topic of the discussion was microtransactional games versus gambling mm -hmm. uh, and harmful harmful behavior. And just the fact that, you know, the iGaming industry and gambling industry have gone through, I, I don't know if this is an expression in English, but the, the steel bath, we call it in Sweden, like you, you have to go through this um, very difficult time in the industry to uh, to get to the point where we are now. The industry is very heavily regulated. Yes. Uh, we, we had to work really hard. The industry had to work really hard to be able to go through that um, period to be able to stay compliant and to, yes. in the end of the day, protect the players, which is the the, the key words here, right? Yes. Um, and compare that to the um, to social media, what you were mentioning, which is completely unregulated, and uh, which is an industry, at least in in terms of like Facebook, Instagram, and the more popular social medias, which are exploiting 
the uh, human psyche uh, in the same way as the egg industry it, uh, can do as well, where you create uh, these uh, uh, endorphin kicks and you you basically turn up the volume as much as you can and yeah. keep, try to keep uh, your users as engaged as you possibly can by any mean, which is yeah. what you are what you are saying now with the uh, with how the algorithms uh, work with social media. And compare that then to the agami industry, which is uh, obviously heavily regulated. We are definitely not uh, allowed to uh, to do whatever it takes to to create these um, the same patterns of uh, of um, uh, addiction that uh, yes. that is purpose built within the social media platforms, uh, right? And uh, the question that becomes then: Is it just a matter of time before the uh, before the um, classic social media platforms have to go through? Uh, this type of scrutiny as the game industry have done? I really hope so. That's a really good point you make there, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the ESG measurement of Facebook is pretty telling in terms of how they treat yeah. people's data, you know, and I, that really points to some, you know, like you say, unregulated, they can, you know, if, if you want to take out a, an ad campaign, that's just com- complete lies, very misleading. Uh, you know, information on the, on those platforms has caused you know genocides in some countries. It's not a overstatement exactly. to say that. Um, it can't happen soon enough. I, I really think so. You know, and it's you know shareholders, activist shareholders like Scott Galloway, Professor Scott Galloway, for instance, uh, they are campaigning for better use and better regulation. And you know, it's we're talking about sustainability. We started talking about you know ESG, um, but you know, we're talking about sustainable business, financially sustainable. All of this is about your business succeeding, surviving, thriving in the future. If you burn through the planet, there's no more business. If you burn through all your customers, there's no more business. If you, you know, if you infuriate all the governments, you're going to run out of landing space. So it's like, how far can you pursue this absolutely ruthless land grab for attention and uh, and and time, you know, if it's based on socially destructive uh, technology and uh, addiction loops, etc. Um, yes, I hope so. It can't happen soon enough. I think a lot will come down to government. A lot will come down to regulators, uh, activist shareholders. But in a perfect world, the tech companies in question would be making moves towards these spaces, independent of yeah. that kind of pressure. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, regulation tends to move slowly, obviously, and we yes. are in such a fast-paced industry, oh, yeah. which is the tech industry. You know, the yeah. social media platforms like Facebook is only what fifteen years old, uh, totally. and uh, and the space is moving so quickly. Where mm. certain platforms are popular one day and not popular the next day, and now yes. the, the the latest trend is Clubhouse, which is a big favorite <laughs> of mine, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I really like that form of social media. It kind of uh, brings out the best in people, I feel, which is ah. uh, in, op- in opposition to Facebook, which is brings out the worst in people sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it'll be an interesting space to follow. Like you're saying, I think uh, now, 15 years later, uh, society is working up to the realities of, of this new phenomenon, which is social media. Uh, yes. And uh, if we draw some parallels to the agami industry, um, similarly, uh, it uh, you know the aggressive marketing and... Uh, and the aggressive kind of bonus structures and so forth went to a point for our industry uh, where society woke up to the to the point and said that we need to change this. You know, the the organization had to adapt, and um, 
I think you, you make a good point as well in the fact that ESG is not only about creating shareholder value in a way so that you don't just want to have a high ESG score uh, to increase the, um, the share price, but it's also the fact that you, you draw talent to your organization. And um, I think this is a really good point uh, if we do a parallel to the IGME industry as well, is that uh, most people who work in the IGME industry, they don't want their customers to, to suffer. Most yeah. people in the IGME industry don't want their customers to, uh, to play for more money than they can afford. And if you are a talented employee, um, you are going to seek yourself to organizations that are actively taking steps to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is, the, this is the key. And that gives the organizations a big incentive to incorporate that in their strategy in, in general from, a, um, from an em- employer branding point of view as well, mm-hmm. that you, you, you want to be able to, uh, to attract the, the best talent to your organization. Um, and this leads a little bit to my next question here, which is, um, you know, ESG's roles in traditionally stigmatized industries like uh, like iGaming, um, but also like oil and gas um, and so on. I find that very fascinating because if we look at, if, if, you, if we want to predict how the world will move in the next couple of decades, I think it's a good it's a good thing to look at the most stigmatized industries and see where they are heading, because yeah. that is going to give us a clear sign on where the world is heading. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we are not stronger than our weakest link, in a sense, in, the, in when it comes to sustainability, right? Yeah. So, um, look at oil and gas. I just find this so fascinating uh, that uh, a company like Shell, you know, you could call Shell one of the most evil companies in the world. <laughs> okay. You can make that argument, right? They are one of the biggest polluters. Of, uh, you know, it's, it's an oil and gas company, right? It's like yeah. if you want to put like uh, the like if you want to define an uh, you know the, like an, an an organization that is bad for the world. You Siri, put the show me a company that's but yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Siri will tell you, yeah, that's Shell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but look, look at Shell. Look at where they're heading. They yeah. have committed themselves to be a net zero, a net zero emissions organization yeah. uh, energy business by 2050 okay they are yeah. oil and gas company yeah isn't that just absolutely fascinating it, it it certainly is it certainly is there was this wonderful series called how they made us believe anything or something like this on uh, on the bbc it's a podcast and it was the story of exxon mobil and how they used the PR techniques that had been used by the tobacco industry back in the 1950s to make everyone think tobacco was safe, uh, yes. to, to make everyone doubt climate change. And so it was classic stuff. They, you know, they had this um, this technique called white coats. This uh, this PR pioneer uh, invented this uh, this technique of kind of just rolling out enough scientists to share enough things that could be seen as casting doubt on the central. Uh, objection to what the company wanted to do, and one of the, the one of the takeaways I found fascinating from that documentary, that podcast series, was that Exxon Mobil discovered climate change or greenhouse gases back in the eighties. I think it was the eighties, maybe it was even before, maybe it was the seventies. And um, instead of telling anyone about it, they actually preemptively built their oil rigs higher. <laughs> 
because they knew that the sea waters would rise because of the <laughs> melting ice caps. So it would give them a competitive advantage against all the other, you know, oil and gas <laughs> companies, which is sort of amazing. Mind, it's mind blowing irresponsibility. It's it is like, you know, flame torching the, the planet. It's like burning your, your children's houses. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, so, yes, this is wonderful news about Shell. Uh, this is the change that we need from the oil and gas industry. Oh, my goodness, we so do. Um, <laughs> and I, I think, you know, I don't currently know how Shell are going to do this or any of the oil and gas companies, but I guess there's enough opportunity with the infrastructure they have in terms of, you know, EVs, uh, sustainable energy, solar, wind, etc. Um, you know, there's enough issues that need to get fixed by companies with that infrastructure, the way of distributing stuff that powers the world's vehicles, but maybe it moves to electric vehicles, etc. And the Super Bowl ads that we saw recently, I think, were very significant. I think both, God, was it uh, Cadillac and General Motors both had adverts. There was a great one with Will Farrell where he goes to Denmark, but he, he ends up in Finland and he sort of declares war and says, you know, Amer <laughs> Americans have the best EVs, but he, oh no, he ends up in Sweden. His friends end up in Finland. Um, and so th this was really interesting. There was an article saying, you know, we couldn't have had this during a Trump administration. You know, there was no, but like suddenly, you know, and General Motors has been terrible. Uh, I mean, speaking objectively, I know people who work there that, you know, I, I am, I'm full of hope for the future, but it's sort of like the, the context that we need to make these bold moves, even for an industry like automotive and oil and gas is like, there's never been a better time for companies across the spectrum to get on the ESG agenda and kind of you know, set themselves going in the right way. You know, if Shell can do it, if General Motors, if Cadillac can do it, everybody can do it. So I, I share your hope. I mean, an example of, I mean, when we spoke about this, you know, what came to mind was UAE and Dubai because, yes. you know, they used to have an economy. It was just about oil. It was extraction. That was it. It was an, you know, immense um, mineral wealth, but, you know, not, it, it, that was it. And so I think what the uh, what the folks over there have done brilliantly is, you know, they established Dubai Media City. They've kind of invested in technology. They're, you know, the Dubai Expo 2020 sadly has been postponed to this year. Um, that is, you know, they've built an entire smart city, and they have this smart city operating system called Siemens Mindsphere, which is a collaboration with Microsoft, and this OS actually looks at all of the energy being used in all of the buildings, how many people are in there, what needs to happen with uh, the intelligent routing of water, power, heating, cooling. Um, it's just fantastic. Cities are very traditionally, you know, inefficient vehicles. Like, you know, the, the water supplies are, are actually in, in major cities are some of the biggest energy users there. You know, there's this whole world of old school industries that we don't necessarily associate with sustainability, like, you know, like incumbent water companies, like oil and gas automotive, all of that is shifting to green technology. All of that is shifting to ESG. So I, I'm excited. I mean, I think the timing for all of this is really tight. We really do have, this is the decade to make it all happen. And if, if we don't do things like, you know, Every company using ESG metrics to, to measure itself. Uh, we need regenerative agriculture, not just like stopping the harmful use of, 
you know, neonicotinoid pesticides and pollutants, etc. We need to regenerate the planet. It's not just enough to stop what we're doing now. We actually have to do proactive stuff to replace what we've burnt. But it's all possible. It's all still to play for. And, um, yeah. you know, I think this, this, this could be one of the most exciting decades in human history. Uh, but it's close, you know. Absolutely, it's it is close, and and uh, you know what what gives what you give us hope at least is the fact that things are changing so dramatically quick, and and uh, the uh, that um, investors are putting such big uh, pressure on on the organizations to live up to these uh, standards, and you know I think that in the agami industry uh, there's been some vague movement here and there you know uh, to to be socially responsible then which is part of esg as well um yes. we, you've seen kind of the move away from the vip segment in in the agami industry where traditionally uh, you would uh, you would make sure that the vips were treated like uh, vips <laughs> you would oh, take yeah. them abroad you would give them gifts and so on uh, yeah. but um the industry has i think have woken up to the fact that that is not a sustainable uh, and uh, and uh, a good model um to to represent our industry with but um that has been a more of, of a vague shift but mm -hmm. uh, but i saw a really great example i think uh, for me at least i might be wrong here but i haven't seen anything like this uh, previously but um uh, kindred group just uh, yes. are just releasing their uh, quarterly report yeah. and it, for the first time, they are uh, they are reporting the amount of revenue they are making from harm, potentially harmful gamblers, and not only that, but they are setting a goal that by twenty twenty three they have as a KPI to bring that to bring that down to zero. So they want to become sustainable in that regard. That uh, by twenty twenty three they don't want to have any revenue from. Um, that can come from harmful gambling basically and that's a massive kpi if we compare it to you know a couple of years ago where that segment was an, actually an important segment for any any large agami uh, organization i thought that was pretty cool for sure i absolutely love it um yeah. that is exactly um, oh yeah yeah go ahead yeah sorry um yeah, I, I absolutely love it. That's exactly the kind of leadership the sector needs. And I think we're probably going to see more of that. We're going to see more transparency, more awareness. I mean, it's because of all of these different factors. But, you know, the writing is on the wall. And I think many, like the smart companies, are going to be ahead of the curve to take advantage of this in terms of shareholder value, stakeholder value, in terms of, you know, sustainability, profitability. All of these things add up, you know, but it's it's like doing you know, doing what we've done for the past 10, 20, 30, 50 years is 100% not an option. And uh, the companies that Absolutely. change the quickest are going to be the ones with the the biggest advantage. Absolutely. Completely agree with that, Ocean. And, and uh, to solidify the point, you know, uh, Kindred are now setting a standard for others to follow, I think. Yeah. And they are the first yeah. ones to do this, as, as far as I know. And uh, now others will have the ball in, in their court, and now it's time for them to act as well. So to solidify this point, I think we both agree that uh, ESG is here to stay, not only at the level we're at now, but it's definitely going to be something that becomes more and more important for the survival and the and the, to be able to thrive as an organization. Indeed. Um, we as an agami industry, we have to adapt to that. And uh, if we want to, uh, if we want to grow and sustain our our, our industry. Uh, we need to adapt to this as well, just like the first step that Kindred are now taking, and and uh, and so on and, and so forth. So, yes. um, 
Yeah, so I really appreciate you coming on today, obviously, to clarify uh, these things. Like I said, great uh, insight from uh, you who come from outside the industry as well, and also have arguing insight that we can draw parallels to uh, between the between the two. So I really appreciate that, Tyson. Absolute pleasure, Pierre. Thank you so much for inviting me on, and uh, you know, I'm thrilled to be involved with iGaming Next. Really looking forward to it. And um, you know, best thing about the iGaming industry, I think, is the people. And you know, I mean, you can say that for many industries, but in iGaming, it it really brings together some exceptional people. Absolutely brilliant. And I think the opportunity for us to get together for this podcast, the opportunity for people to hang out at the Power Hour, and then to come to iGaming Next, I think it's you know, this is what it's all about. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be involved. Thank you. Beautiful, Isaac. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in person soon again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And take care of yourself. Thank you, mate. Have a good one. You too. This fruitful discussion has been brought to you by our sponsors, Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. Is your business struggling to keep up with the development demands on your current gaming platform? Well, then it's time to upgrade to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Multi-tenant, multi-currency, multi-regional, API-based, rule engine automated, regulation ready. It's all here out of the box. Smart businesses leverage Pragmatic SaaS model and license powerful modern technology for a fraction of the cost of in-house development. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. Stay safe and take care.